Okay, well, good morning, everyone. Uh, Grace and peace to you. Now, our passage this morning, uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, opens with Jesus and the disciples once again on their way toward Jerusalem. Now, they're very close now. And Jesus is nearing the purpose for which he came, to bring the lost home through his death and resurrection. But on this journey toward Jerusalem, to gather in lost humanity, there is one among the 99 that Jesus must attend to, Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector. Now, the passage says that Jesus intended to pass through Jericho, but for this man, he stopped. The passage says in verse 2, and there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus, He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Now, irony of ironies, his name, Zacchaeus, means clean or innocent. Now, Zacchaeus isn't any of those things now, but he will be. Now, he's the chief tax collector. Now, as you know, tax collectors are synonymous with sinners. You often come across that phrase, tax collectors and sinners in your reading of the Gospels. And moreover, a tax collector was also a traitor, a native who was in bed with the foreign oppressor against his own people. And not merely a traitor, but also a greedy and rapacious man. Tax collectors often demanded more from the public than was necessary, and they took a little bit off the top for themselves. Thus Zacchaeus is rich. And he is a chief tax collector. So he's all those things, but to the nth degree. The chief tax collector, Zacchaeus. Now Zacchaeus is an endearing character. A wee little man was he, so the children's song goes. He climbed up in a sycamore tree, but let's not make him too endearing. He is a rather unscrupulous man who, if he came knocking on our door, I'm not sure we'd be too happy to see him. The people grumbled when Jesus went to be his guest. That is the man who takes away our money, who oppresses the poor while himself living high on the hog. And of course, we would too. But Jesus came to seek and save the lost, even those that we'd rather not be found. Grace, in its pure and undiluted form, is hard to get down. Remember the workers who grumbled because uh, they received the same wage as those who came and picked up a shovel at the very end of the day. They think they're going to get more because they've worked so uh, much longer and so much harder than the others. And... Each of them gets the same wage. And Jesus asked them, Is your eye envious because I am generous? And so we'd be there, Lord, that man's a sinner. We don't associate with him. And yet, there is Jesus welcoming the sinner and the saint alike. Now, as Christians, we don't have enemies. Only brothers and sisters and waiting. We think such and such a person has been put in our path 
as Zacchaeus to torment us. But more likely, they've been put in our path, that person, that they might be found. And moreover, that we might be trained in love. That person, whoever it is, is lost. I have come to seek and save the lost. Or, as Jesus says on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus seeks the lost, and he still seeks the lost. Of course, what do you think you and I are doing here? And he seeks the lost through his body, the church. So you're welcome to that person, whoever it may be, is Jesus' welcome. Your mercy is his mercy, and your kindness is his kindness. So now, Zacchaeus, and I think we know why, He wants to see Jesus, and so the scripture says in verse 3, Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. Zacchaeus' situation, as it's described here, is quite similar to the situation of the blind man last week that we considered at the end of the chapter. The blind man there inquired to see Jesus, and Zacchaeus here also wants to see Jesus. The blind man, or rather the crowd, tried to silence the blind man. Right? They told him, be quiet. And here the crowd towers over uh, Zacchaeus. The blind man cried out, over the crowd to get Jesus' attention. And here Zacchaeus climbs up over the crowd as well to see Jesus. So together, both stories and their similarities are packed with significance for us. First, both men teach us what it means to seek Jesus. If one wants to find him, so to speak, or to be found by him, It cannot be done by a mere tepid effort. The crowds present a significant obstacle to both men. And both men triumph over the crowds. The blind man, despite trying to be shut up, cries and cries all the more till he's finally heard. And Zacchaeus literally goes out on a limb to see Jesus. So the question is, how do we seek Jesus? Do the crowds, whatever they may be, the obstacles that confront us, do they silence us and intimidate us too quickly? Or do we run up the sycamore tree and break through the noise with loud crying to see Jesus? The scripture says in Jeremiah 29, 13, and 14, You will seek me, and you will find me when, when, You search for me with all your heart. Like the blind man, like Zacchaeus, he says, I will be found by you. And also, and maybe I'm making too much of this detail, both men go up above the crowd. The blind man raises up his voice above the commotion and tumult. And Zacchaeus climbs up above the masses to gain a better vantage. One overcomes his blindness by getting up above, and the other 
overcomes his shortness by getting up above. And we too need to get up above the crowd, so to speak, that which impedes us from coming to Jesus. And so what is it that blinds and crowds out our vision, that obscures Jesus from our eyes? It's the passions of the flesh. Pursue holiness, the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 12, without which no one will see the Lord. Pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. We must get up above the crowds, our earthly passion, lust, anger, envy, and idolatry that keep us earthbound, that keep us from seeing Jesus. We've got to get up above them to see Jesus, the Lord, who dwells above. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So above we go then, like Zacchaeus, to leave behind the practices and habits that keep our thoughts on things here below, that cater to our earthly passions and give them opportunity to break out. Instead, by meditating upon the Scriptures, by devoting ourselves to prayer and fasting, by separating ourselves from worldliness, we set our mind on things above and we keep them there. We're getting up above the crowds, that which keeps us from seeing Jesus. And thus, up above the crowds and the sycamore tree, we do see Jesus. But I think, and this is ultimately where we want to land, Zacchaeus' ascent up into the tree to see Jesus, teaches us still another thing, a very familiar theme, and that is humility. Now, have you ever seen a respectable person, a pillar of society, up in a tree? Even in our radically informal society, that would be a cause for ridicule. Oh yes, there's the mayor up in the tree again. But how much more in our Uh, or how much more, rather, in ancient Jewish culture. Zacchaeus was already something of a social pariah, one people didn't want to associate with, but this, climbing the tree, would have sealed the deal. It was just something that respectable people, especially men, did not do. When was the last time you climbed a tree? Not since childhood, most likely. And that's because children climb trees, right? That's what children do, not adults. Obviously, one, because adults cannot move like children anymore, but two, because adults become respectable and socialized members of society. So we cease to climb trees. Not Zacchaeus, though. Up the sycamore tree he goes to see Jesus. And in so doing, the very adult man, the tax collector, becomes like a child again, as we've already read in Luke chapter 18, verses 16 and 18. Permit the children to come to me, Jesus said, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. 
So Zacchaeus ascends outwardly, but inwardly he descends. Each branch upward is a descent further into humility and meekness in his own life. The man, small in stature, towers over the crowd in his childlike spirit, and thus he can enter the kingdom prepared only for such children. And so we learn then that there is a humility that we must cultivate in our own lives in order to see Jesus. There were very many other people there that day, the crowds that surrounded Jesus, but none of them had Jesus stay at their home. It's humility that distinguishes Zacchaeus from the crowds. So in other words, we need to climb the sycamore tree. But more on that in a moment. The passage teaches us that we need to be prepared to accept humiliation in order to see Jesus. Again, there's a particular social element to Zacchaeus' humility. It's one thing to climb a tree. It's another thing to do that publicly. Which is to say, Zacchaeus' desire to see Jesus made him look ridiculous in the sight of others. There was, and remains still today, a clear and sometimes weighty social cost to be paid in order to see Jesus. As Christians... We are always climbing the sycamore tree, so to speak. And that makes us subject to the ridicule and ribbing of others, be it at home or at the workplace or at class and etc. That comes with the territory. If we want to see Jesus, we've got to go up the tree. And that's going to get us in hot water with others. Now, it was Mother Teresa who said, We learn humility through accepting humiliations. Or rather, we learn humility through accepting humiliations cheerfully. Thus, rather than evading the ridicule that inevitably comes with our sycamore tree climbing identity, we ought to accept them cheerfully. It's okay that we are misunderstood, and we will be among our family, among our friends, among our co-workers. It's okay to not give in to the court of opinion. We don't have to fear the judgment of others. Instead, we accept humiliations and so become more humble. While being reviled, the scripture says, he did not revile in return, speaking of Jesus, but kept trusting himself to him who judges righteously. So that sycamore tree-climbing shame that we bear is sometimes a heavy load especially if we are separated from our brothers and sisters, yet it's not for no reason. It's in pursuit of eternal life, Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the Apostle Paul says, for it is the power of God to salvation. So there's an earthly embrace that we must turn away from, but only to be received in heavenly embrace. It's ultimately not a matter of if we will bear shame. But rather, it's a matter of when and how we do. Either we bear it now before men in confessing Jesus and climbing up the tree, so to speak, or we'll bear it later before the Son of Man and His angels because we've chosen to deny Him now. 
the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verse 7. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are numbered, are all numbered. Do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. And he says this, And I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will also confess before the, son, before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. So make your confession now. Be courageous wherever you find yourself, wherever the crowds want to silence you, and climb the sycamore tree. And having already made your confession, people knowing that you're a believer, that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, double down on it. Again, we sometimes shrink into silence because we're afraid of the crowd. Or because maybe the crowd literally tells us to be quiet like the blind man. Or it towers over us and intimidates us. So we sometimes shrink into silence. But instead, like the poor man, raise your voice all the louder. All the more till you're finally heard. Now quite obviously, our witness ought to be seasoned with wisdom and tact. The passage is not urging us to be belligerent and quarrelsome. But it is urging us and our witness among others, to be bold and courageous. Do not fear. All the hairs of your head are numbered. You are more valuable than many sparrows. And it's hard to see from the ground sometimes. But once you're up in the sycamore tree, once you've chosen to go out on a limb for Christ, you'll see the horizon dotted with many other heads also looking for Jesus. Do you remember the story of poor Elijah, the prophet? He thought he was the only righteous and pious man left in all of Israel. And he complains to the Lord. And what did the Lord say to him? I have left 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which has not kissed him. Elijah assumed he was alone, but he wasn't. And you are not alone. And who knows, your boldness to climb up in the tree in order to see Jesus, may inspire others. Thus, up the sycamore tree, we all go to see Jesus. So there is Zacchaeus, the wee little man up in the sycamore tree, trying to see Jesus as he passes by. And the story continues now in verse 5. When Jesus came to the place... He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. And when they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He is gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. So the boldness and the brazenness of Zacchaeus catches Jesus' attention, almost as if he had planned it. And I love that image. Jesus came to the place. He looked up and he said to him, Sycamore tree climbers are rewarded. And what does Jesus say? He addresses the man in the tree by his name. Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for today I must stay at your house. Zacchaeus went up in humility and he came down in honor. Jesus now his guest. As we've heard somewhere before, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and everyone who humbles himself 
will be exalted. Zacchaeus is exalted in his humility. Jesus intends to pass through Jericho, but to the small man's humility, he says, I must stay at your house. It's a divine imperative. It's something that Jesus must do for. It is the thing that he's come to do, to seek and to save the lost. You remember when Jesus announced his identity in chapter 4 of our gospel in the synagogue, he took the scripture and read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus stops and looks up at Zacchaeus, the man in the tree, because he is such a one, as the passage has just indicated. Poor in spirit, captive to covetousness, blind to spiritual things, and oppressed by the enemy. To him, Jesus comes and he proclaims the favorable year of the Lord. I must stay at your house. And so what do we learn from Zacchaeus' example? And I think it's this. The humble heart is the only one that is hospitable to Jesus. The humble heart is the only one that's hospitable to Jesus. Foxes have holes, he says. The birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Nowhere, that is, except with the humble. There he finds a resting place. I must stay at your house. So Zacchaeus hurried down from the tree, and the scripture says, received him gladly. A humble heart is one that's hospitable to Jesus. The scripture says in Isaiah 57, verse 15, For thus says the high and exalted one, who lives forever, whose name is holy, I dwell on a high and holy place, and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Though our God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, is transcendent, high and exalted, who dwells in a high and holy place, though he's transcendent, he comes to make his second home, so to speak, with the contrite and lowly spirit. He's high and exalted, but he comes to dwell with those who are at the very bottom. The broken heart is as much a suitable place for God to dwell as the highest heaven. And he comes to such a broken heart in order to raise it up to be with him. He sees such a one, a contrite and lowly heart, and he says, I must stay at your house. And we think that a heart like that, contrite and lowly, empty and destitute, might not seem like a fit place to receive Jesus. Just like Zacchaeus seems not like a fit person to receive Jesus. Instead, what we want is a heart or a home that's prepped and decked, maxed with furnishings and centerpieces, ornate and welcoming, 
But the truth is, there's not much room for Jesus in such a heart. That's the kind of heart as the Pharisee who says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers. It's full, this house. It has a beauty to it, but it's self-righteous. On the contrary, the destitute heart, the empty heart says, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And that heart is a palace for him. That's the kind of heart that he's pleased to dwell in. What does the scripture say? Isaiah, or, uh, 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 Psalm 51. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Or as Psalm 25 here says, verse 8 and 9. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, not in spite of, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in justice. He teaches the humble his way. So the empty heart, the destitute heart, the one that's represented in Zacchaeus, does not have its own manufactured beauty like the other. Instead, it receives its only beauty from the Lord, from Jesus. He is its radiance and glory, brightening its once darkened rooms. And Zacchaeus receives him gladly now permeated with the divine glory, his heart becomes joyous once again, perhaps for the first time. Jesus' presence brings joy. He makes his home in our empty and destitute hearts as well. So, by whatever means then, climb the sycamore tree, seek Jesus in humility, And so how does one do that? Seek Jesus in humility. Simply in truth. Clear out all the self-righteous furnishings. Tear down the ornate trim and tear off the flowery wallpaper. And cease trying to make your heart something it's not. And let it be what it is. Cultivate a lowly and contrite spirit, in other words. Know yourself at length. Now we tend to think those things are contrary to one another. Contrition and joy, a lowly spirit and one that is exulting with gladness. But they're not. They're not really not separate. One, contrition, is the means to the other, joy. Again, contrition welcomes the Lord. It's that humility that opens the door for him to enter into our hearts And of course, his presence, once he enters, is joy. It's both and. So the moment that the heart starts digging up or digging out the old furnishings and slapping on the old wallpaper, true happiness departs. That comes from the Lord's presence departs. What does the scripture say? So many times, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Grace to the humble. We humble ourselves. The Lord says, today I must stay at your house. So in humility before him then, we seek his grace. We seek his grace. But the crowds, they grumble at this. Such grace extended even to Zacchaeus, the arch tax collector. The passage reads verse 7 now. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He is gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. 
And as we noted, they're not wrong. Zacchaeus, though humble, is not righteous. Jesus enters the home of a man who is snared in greed and oppression. But as we also noted, that is grace. Notice, there is no initiative of moral reform, of repentance, of restitution on behalf of Zacchaeus. There's, there's nothing like that in the passage. Instead, only Jesus' embrace. The thing that we would expect to come after, right? Zacchaeus starts to clean things up in his life. Then he says, okay, now I'm ready to stay at your house. In fact, comes before Jesus says, I must stay at your house. Then Zacchaeus changes. Grace comes first and then reform. And it's always in that order. And it's something that we need to be reminded of constantly because our hearts have a hard time holding on to it. Jesus' gracious presence in our lives does not result from moral uprightness on our part, but always from his free goodness. We do not reform ourselves and then receive grace, but we receive grace and then carry out the process of reformation. God's mercy is always at the bottom, preceding any efforts of our own, any sort of fixing things up that we put into practice. God's grace is always at the bottom. So in other words, just like Zacchaeus, Jesus comes to us and he says, I must stay at your house, and then we respond. Verse 8, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. So we're always getting that backward, aren't we? Attempting on our own, on some basis other than grace, to clean ourselves up, to make the whole place nice, and then welcome Jesus in. I've got to straighten things out. I've got to do this or that. Then, then he'll come to my home, right? Then Jesus will welcome me or I will welcome him. We want to take the initiative, right? We want to be the one to start things off, but Jesus is already knocking at the door. But someone might say, well, Zacchaeus was the one looking for Jesus, right? Before Jesus said, I must stay at your house, Zacchaeus was already up in the tree. And he was, but Jesus had him beat. Did you notice, Jesus knew his name. He looked up at Zacchaeus and said to him, Zacchaeus, I must come down, or hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house. Zacchaeus hardly knew who Jesus was. He only wanted to catch a glimpse. He just wanted to see him. Jesus knew his name. You did not choose me, Jesus said to his disciples, but I chose you. Grace and mercy are extended to us far before we are curious and so wander up the sycamore tree. In fact, we only begin to poke around. We only get curious about seeing Jesus because grace is already at work in our lives. However, I don't mean to say that we should not be more diligent about righteousness, about holy living. But here's the point. Instead, we should never pursue righteousness. 
We should never pursue humility apart from the grace that makes it possible. Mere diligence, no matter what kind of person you are, lazy or absolutely rigorous, is not enough. Sheer willpower will not make you godly. Only grace can do that. Only the grace of God can transform our hearts and our lives. That's why someone like Zacchaeus outshines the Pharisees. They have all the willpower and diligence they could ever have. And yet Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, outdoes them because he receives grace. So grace must come first and grace must be all as the Apostle teaches us in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. So the grace of God has appeared in Jesus Christ, who has come to seek and save the lost, and to bring salvation to all through his cross. But that's not the end of the story. Such grace also teaches us. Grace is not merely something we need when we blow it. I.e., we need grace to get back on the horse. We need grace to pick ourselves up off the floor and start again. It is that, but grace is also more. The apostle says it teaches us. Or as he says in 1 Corinthians 15, I am what I am by the grace of God. The grace of God toward me was not in vain, he says. So grace teaches us. And what does it teach us? Well, the apostle says to deny corrupt passions and to walk in true sobriety and righteousness in this life. In short, godliness follows grace. Righteousness follows grace, and it's always in that order. So we need less of our own promises and vows. I promise, Lord. I commit to change. I will do better. And what we need is more cries for grace. Psalm 119, verse 58, I sought your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your word. You see the difference there? between putting grace first and seeking grace to change rather than trying to change and then asking for grace. Genuine transformation and not merely sweeping things under the rug or powering our way through things by willpower only comes from grace. It is power that instructs us in godliness. So such grace, Jesus, comes to Zacchaeus and he's transformed. Though it's humanly impossible, here the camel passes through the eye of a needle. A rich man is saved. He shares his riches with the poor, half of them, and he promises to restore any and all ill-gotten gains fourfold. Thus Zacchaeus, innocent and clean, as his name means, finally grows up into his identity. And of course, we're given the same name. 1 Corinthians 6, Such were some of you, but you were washed, 
but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. We too, in the gracious work of Jesus Christ, are clean and innocent above all reproach. And we too, like Zacchaeus, have the opportunity to grow up into that name. We can become who we are by the transforming power of God's grace in our lives. So as we turn our hearts and minds toward Holy Communion now, I just want to ask that we would seek that grace and be reminded in these elements that God is that God is willing to give it. He gave us his son, and how he'll, will he not with him also freely give us all things? As James chapter 4 says, he gives a greater grace. He gives a greater grace. So whatever it is, right, wherever that area where we need to overcome, remember, he gives a greater grace. So as we sing in worship, as we take this time to call upon that grace, Receive it and give thanks for it. And do that now, and I will lead us in communion in just one moment.